Hello, everybody. Thanks for checking in to Moving Up the Ladder, a show that brings in expert knowledge and insight into improving your chances of success in the world of employment. I'm your host, Tim Muma. We have the job seeker in mind for this episode as we look to focus on the handful of key skills that will give anyone the best chance at landing a position you're pining for. Helping us to break down these skills is Erica Anderson, joining us from New York. Erica is the author of the book, Leading So People Will Follow. She's also a founding partner of Proteus International, where they focus on consulting and training leader readiness with executives and major organizations from around the world. So plenty of knowledge and experience to bring to us today. Erica, thanks for coming on. Oh, you're most welcome. Before we do jump into you know the idea of what these skills are and everything, if you could give everyone listening a, a little a little bit of background in, in your experience and what your organization does. Oh, okay. So um, I founded Proteus in 1990, so almost 23 years ago, and we do, as you said, uh, consulting, coaching, and training, and it's all focused around leader readiness. Our point is to help leaders become ready to lead and then once they're in those leadership positions to help them be ready in effect for the future so how to keep growing how to set your own career on the right track and help to set your organization's direction correctly and now i did contact you as we talked about before the show that you did have an article that talked about these skills and uh, you know this is obviously a little bit from the other side of things you're working with these leaders and and understanding their mindset so i think it's a a good way to look at it for job seekers that it's not just coming from somebody looking for a job it's actually coming from people who would be hiring it and looking for these skills so when we talk about these skills that are kind of across industry they obviously they're not technical skills so how would you describe these these key elements that people would want to have, really, no matter what job they're applying for? Well, the reason I wrote the post, it was based on a a, a post that I read. I I often kind of bounce off of and riff off of other Forbes contributors' posts, and it was by this woman, Megan Casserly, and she had done a post herself on the 10 job skills that seemed uh, most likely to land you a job in 2013. And what was really interesting to me when I read her post were that the first four, the top four, the ones that were correlated to the highest percent, you know, nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 of these top jobs, mm-hmm. um, they were not technical skills. They right. weren't scientific. They weren't, you know, IT related. They were really about uh, about thinking and, and about having good, strong mental skills that I feel can be developed by anyone. And, um, and I thought it was just a really a positive, and certainly it lined up with my experience of it, as you say, uh, consulting with and coaching a lot of people who hire people at various levels and also seeing those people that I, that we coach and work with and how they had become successful. Right. The, the four skills that she cited. And then, then I kind of riffed on of, of these top four skills are critical thinking, complex problem solving, judgment and decision making and active listening. So not job related at all. There are things that you could learn at any job and that any person can develop by, you know, sort of disciplined mental effort. So I I thought that was really a positive message for job seekers. And you're right. I mean, the the stuff we've talked about and people we talk to, I mean, it all sort of does correlate in the same way. And and you know, we did want to dive into a little bit because we hear those terms and maybe we kind of have an idea of what that is. But you know, being able to talk to somebody and really sort of examine that is, is the idea here. So if we start with that first skill, the idea of critical thinking, as I said, something we hear all the time, we maybe think we have an idea of what that is. But from your experience, from, from people you talk to and, and work with, what exactly does that mean? Well, it's a wonderful question because it does all these things get thrown around a lot, critical thinking. So um, the, the way I, in the blog post, the way I kind of summarize it is being able to uh, be logical and rational in your approach to sorting through a situation. Mm-hmm. 
And so there are a number of things that are required. And it's interesting, the fourth skill on the list is active listening. And, and one thing I point out in the post and that I just think is so true is that listening is a component of the other three as well. In order to do good critical thinking, you have to really be able to listen right. well and completely to what's being said to you because you can't do critical thinking with just part of the information. So um, one of the things that's required for that first skill, critical thinking, is to be able to be objective and kind of dispassionate, to hear, to hear what's being said about a situation, about a proposal, about a circumstance, and really fully listen, not let yourself be limited by the preconceived ideas you have about what's being said. And, and that's something you can learn to do. Like when you go into a situation, you can coach yourself mentally to say, okay, now I want to make sure that I don't come to a conclusion too quickly. I want to make sure that I'm really listening to understand all the aspects of this. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of ways you can kind of open your own mind so that you can be a better critical thinker. Is there a way then really to, to gauge somebody's ability to do that? Let's say it is in a, a pre-screening process or uh, in an interview setting. I mean, are there examples of, of certain questions that really get to that or certain personality traits that you could point to? Oh, absolutely. Like even though <laughs> this is a whole other topic that we can talk That's, about. No, no we, we like to bounce around. We, we, want, we want all the aspects covered. So. <laughs> I, I, what I was going to say is we could do a whole other conversation about how badly most interviewing happens. You oh, know? oh we, yeah, we've, we've touched on that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that most people who interview, they talk way too much and they ask questions that have obvious right answers and all that kind of stuff. But, but one of the kinds of questions that can really demonstrate critical thinking from the point of view of the job seeker is mm -hmm. if, if someone asks you, you know, kind of what have you done? People ask a lot of backward facing questions. So if someone asks you, you know, what have you done you know, like when you had a problem, how did you fix it or how did you solve it? People are really, whether or not they're conscious of it, this is a place where they're looking for critical thinking. So they're looking to see, did you look at the, all the relevant uh, kind of data about this problem? Did you look to see kind of what caused it and how long it had happened and who are the people that seem to be involved? And then think through the pros and cons of various ways of addressing it and come to a, a conclusion based on a really thorough looking at the situation, looking at the possibilities to solve it, and, and picking a, a good solution, good mm. solid sort of reasonably based solution. And if you can talk through something that you've done in that way in the past, that will immediately telegraph to the person that you're pretty good at critical thinking. And I mean, is the key really to, to be able to bring up specific examples as opposed to, I mean, you can only say so much in general, but if you can bring up an example from the workplace, is that something that really you should focus on? Oh, not only specific examples, but really what I'm trying to say is really dig into it. Like if somebody, if the interviewer says to you, um, tell me a situation in the past where you solved a difficult problem right. and you said, well, uh, you know, sales were down and we fixed them. Okay. You know, that doesn't really help, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but if you say, uh, one year our sales were really down and I and a group of people were charged to, you know, figure out what had happened and we looked at the most critical factors affecting sales, you know, and whatever those were in your situation. And then we noticed that the two things that really seemed to have changed year to year was this and that. And we went to our bosses with two recommendations about how to shift those factors. That's good critical thinking, you know, and if you, if you did that, and if you say it even in that, you know, that's not a whole lot of detail, but if you say it even in that much detail, they'll think, Oh, this person knows how to think through problems and, mm -hmm and think critically about them rather than just superficially or emotionally. And you, you brought up, you know, the idea of obviously solving a problem. That is that second skill that you mentioned. And, and as you talked about with the listening, kind of covering all of them, these are all 
clearly intertwined and they're all going to play a role together. But when we're talking about, you mentioned complex problem solving. Yes. Is there a way to define that, especially if you're, you're looking to maybe differentiate the idea of complex versus something simple? Is there something you could point to there or a way to describe that? Yeah. And I'll use, I don't know why I'm using these this morning, but I'll use another sales example. Um, it's, and I was, just wrote another post about this this morning at Forbes about uh, what I called three ways to think like a genius. And one of the things that, one of the ways people define genius is um, the ability to see patterns where most people would only see chaos or random objects, unrelated objects. And one of the ways to do that, and this is key to complex problem solving, is to do what we call pulling back the camera, where you step back from the details and really try to see the whole picture. Sure. And the example I used in that post was, again, so maybe there's a head of sales and, and she sees that sales are down and she just looks at one piece of data that says, okay, so your two top performing salespeople are off their targets. This year they're not, they're not producing, they're not performing up to, up to quota. If she just looked at that little piece of information, she would say, oh man, I gotta do something about these people. I gotta either read them the riot act or I gotta get them to training or I gotta fire them. You know, and that is not complex problem solving. That's simplistic, okay. you know, right? So instead, if she pulled the camera back and said, okay, what are all the things that could be affecting this diminution of sales? And what I, the example I used in the post is she might realize, talking to a variety of people, that they're having a problem with a new product line. That there's some kind of a glitch that's making the return rate higher than normal and therefore making uh, customers less willing to reorder. And then when she digs into it a little bit more, she finds out, oh, that's where our sales are trending downward. It's mostly in the reorders because the, the, the customers are feeling burned. So, boy, we got to figure out a way to fix that glitch and then really do the full court press on these customers to help them understand that we're sorry and we're going to fix it and you know even give them whatever extra things we need to do to help them trust us more and get back get you know get back in line with them so complex problem solving means that you have to be willing to hold a number of factors in your head and sort through which are the ones that are really having the biggest effect on the situation mm -hmm. rather than doing this simple you know uh, sales are down I'll you know fire that guy kind of, you know, simplistic problem solving that people tend to gravitate toward. Right. So when we're looking at that from a, the job seekers point of view, and you want to obviously be able to portray that, you know, you get in that interview and, and you kind of touched on this, that some of the questions, unfortunately, might be geared to have this correct answer. So if are you saying that in an interview setting, should there really be a right or wrong answer if you're trying to, to figure out if someone has this complex problem solving ability or is it more about how they derive to it and kind of what the processes they take that you kind of described? That's exactly right. I think good interviewers, and again, take that with a bag of salt because I, unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of interviewers are not a whole, a whole bag, not just a grain, a whole bag of salt. Um, but, but good interviewers should be looking for how your brain works. You know, I mean, because right. they've seen from your resume what your sensible experience is. So when they talk to you, they ought to be looking to see, can this person think critically? Can they solve problems with the complexity that is appropriate to the level of the problem? So, so in interviews, if you have a good interviewer, and even if you don't, it ought to be helpful to let them see the inside of your brain a little bit, to let them see that you are thoughtful and that you do have an internal mental process for thinking through how to come to a solution of a complicated problem. Well, as we continue with the, the sort of trend of the mental ability and the mental side of things, the third skill, again, that you had mentioned is the idea of judgment and decision-making. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to dis express that in a detail? And what I really am asking is, 
I feel, in my opinion, and, and from things I've read, that this could be a really highly subjective thing based on personalities and, and maybe, um, you know, the aggressiveness or conserv- conservativeness of somebody to, um, you know, what their decision would be on something. So is there a, a sort of grand way to be able to describe this and, and maybe let job seekers know what, what is really the employer looking for? That it, it shouldn't be necessarily a black and white thing, but what are they really trying to, to see with judgment and decision making? It's a great question, and I think with I think uh, even though they were uh, given as one skill, I think they're two. They're slightly different. So okay. judgment is uh, that the employer wants to see that you have quote unquote good judgment, which which generally to people means that you're not going to do indiscreet, irrational, thoughtless things. Mm-hmm. You know that you're not going to, for instance, uh, say something to a client that you shouldn't. That. <laughs> Like, for instance, if they're if people are looking for a high level executive assistant, you know, and this is a dumb example, but I'm going to give it anyway. They want to know that you're not going to say, oh, so and so can't come to the phone. He's in the bathroom, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that you're going to say so and so can't come to the phone right now. Can I take a message or so and so is not available? You know, those kinds of things. That's a that's a silly little kind of low level example. But but it goes all the way up to much higher levels. Do you have the judgment to know? what to say when and what not to say when you need to bump something upstairs and ask a person for help in figuring out how to address the situation. You know, all too often, I'm sure we've had, I I know that we have all had customer service situations where somebody, you know, in an entry level customer service position is dealing with this in a really dumb, bad way. And we end up saying, can I talk to your supervisor? (laughs) You know, uh, Oh, yeah, we've all been there. (laughs) Customer service representatives who have, quote, unquote, good judgment, that doesn't happen to them very often because they know how to deal with what's within their purview, and they know when it's not within their purview, they say, can I let you talk to my supervisor, right? So that's a lot. So it's having that judgment about what's within your capacity, what is or is not above your pay grade, and then knowing, and then making a decision based on that, deciding based on that judgment. I agree with you that it, it sort of does seem like two aspects that are lumped into one. But uh, yeah, that makes sense. Now to the point where I, I so, sort of touched on a little bit the idea that let's say there is a decision that has to be made, which happens daily, obviously in the workplace. If someone's looking to, to judge they, what they might do in that situation, again, say it's in an interview setting. I may be more conservative and, and move more slowly and not want to pursue risks, whereas you know, a candidate I'm up against is aggressive and, and willing to take those risks. As an employer, are you are you trying to match maybe how your company tends to, to gear towards things? Or maybe you're saying, well, we have a lot of aggressive people. We want conservative. I mean, is that something that's just going to be uh, sort of an employer-deployer thing that as a candidate, you have to figure out ahead of time? Yes. And that, Tim, that, that it's a wonderful question, a very insightful question on your part. People do have very different styles in, in this regard, in lots of regards, but this is an important one. And a lot of it has to do with pace. Hmm. So there are some people who judge and make decisions very quickly. And there are some people who are, have a more moderate, deliberative pace. They need more information to make a decision. They, um, they may, and, and so if, and if there's a mismatch there between the interviewer and the interviewee, it's often, there's often a negative judgment made, right. which I think is what you're implying. So for instance, if I'm the interviewer and I'm real fast paced, kind of take no prisoners, I decide really quickly and I get an interviewee who is thoughtful and deliberative and wants to ask me a couple more questions before they give me their answer, I may just think, oh my God, this person has no sense of urgency mm-hmm. and they're a risk person, make all kinds of negative judgments that actually aren't true. And vice versa, if you have an interviewer who's thoughtful and deliberative and moderate and the interviewee just goes, yep, nope, 
they're going to think, ah, this person's impulsive and they're not thoughtful. And so um, it's, it's useful for the interviewee to know him or herself well enough to kind of come to the middle. If you know that you tend as a person to be slower, more deliberative, more thoughtful, when you're in an interview, you're going to be the least far away from wherever the interviewer is if you try and speed up a little bit. If you come to the middle and be a little more definitive, a little mm-hmm. more quick paced, and if you know that you're on the other end, that your tendency is just go, sure, fine, yes, no, <laughs> you know, slow yourself down a little bit and put a little more thought and deliberation into it, maybe ask an extra question before you say yes. So you kind of come to the middle. Now, again, good interviewers, of which there are not that many, will know that it takes all kinds to make a horse race, and they'll, they won't necessarily immediately judge you negatively if you're different from them, but that's often not the case. So as an interviewee, it's really good to try and come to the middle. Sure. Now, again, we're talking about the, the job skills that people really should have and strive for and look to develop if you're looking to you know get a, get a position or maybe move into a new position somewhere. And the fourth one, and you had mentioned already that it really probably is the most important as it affects all the other areas. And um, it's the idea of active listening. And people sometimes think they are a good listener, but if you really broke it down, it's not necessarily the case. So what would you say are those key components of, of truly being that active listener that, that employers really would would want on their team? Yeah, I'm, I, I just think listening is the foundation of all success. I'm such a huge fan of listening that <laughs> and its importance in any context whether it's managing or leading or being a good parent or spouse or friend. I, the, fir- the first book I wrote, which is called Growing Great Employees, the whole first chapter is about listening. The, mm. This is the core management skill. And the, this book, and I talk about it a lot in my second book, Being Strategic, but in this last book, again, about leadership, I, I, I thought it was so important that I put it in a bonus section in the back. <laughs> of the book. I just, you know, I'm a big fan. So, and, and the great thing about listening is, even though it is not usually taught as a skill, it is a skill. It's a mm-hmm. learnable skill. Most people just say, y'all listen better, right? Okay, good. Go do that. And, you know, okay. <laughs> you know. But the component parts of listening as we teach it are, the first thing is, and, and the first, it has four component parts. And the, and the first one is, first two are very simple. The first one is just paying attention. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds silly but if you've ever been in a situation where you're trying you're trying to speak to someone who's not paying attention to you like often people will go into their boss's office and their boss is emailing or looking at their computer or if, if it's a media company watching the television on the wall while the person is trying to talk to them it is virtually impossible to stay focused when you're trying to talk to someone who's not paying any attention to you because the message that they're sending is i don't i'm not i don't care sure <laughs> yeah listening to you. So paying attention is the is the first little piece of listening. The second one is this thing that we call inviting, where you people who are good listeners, they tend to make little noises and do things with their body language that invite you to continue. It's like if you think of the last time you were uh, speaking to someone who was a really good listener, they tend to, they're paying attention, they're looking at you and they're not doing other stuff, but then they're also inviting you in. They, they're nodding. When you come to a pause, they'll go, oh, mm-hmm, wow. Really? You know, they say things like that that are little prompts to keep going. I'm with you. Keep going. And then the third thing, and this is the single most powerful thing. If you if you do nothing else, do this. And most people don't do this. Um, It's the core of active listening. We call it restating. And what it means is just summarizing really briefly and in your own words, the essence of what the other person has said. So few people do this. And this is really the core of listening that it's almost a surprise to people when you do it. Like I, I often 
part of what I, one of the things I do is I facilitate groups of senior people who are trying to sort things out or figure out their future or whatever. And I'll be standing there listening to the conversation. And then at one point I'll go, wow. So it sounds like the main thing you guys are worried about is Mm -hmm. X. And they all look at me and go, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) wow. Somebody's actually listening to us, you know? So when you do that in an interview, it can be profound. I mean, if the, if the interviewee interviewer is talking too much, as most interviewers do, is going kind of on and on about their company and you're listening really carefully. At one point you say, wow, your key challenge is getting enough great people to support your growth or whatever, you know, summarizing their, they'll look at you like, oh my God, this kid is really listening to me. So restating is very, very powerful because it communicates that you have actually listened and understood in the way that nothing else can. I mean, think how much more powerful it is than saying, oh, I got it. Well, do you? Right. I mean, no. How do you know? Yeah. And then the last thing is asking what we think of as curiosity-based questions, because some a lot of questions are not curiosity-based. They're to prove a point or to make a point. You know, don't you think it would have been better if we'd done X? That's not a real question, right? That's a statement with a question mark on the end of it. <laughs> if you're in in an interview and you say, well, what are the things that you're most proud of about this company? Or, or why, why do people like working here? Those kinds of questions that really arise out of your, curi- your genuine curiosity to understand more, to be clearer, that A, it gets you just a bunch more information, but really it communicates so clearly to people that you are listening, that you're really focused and interested. I think obviously those are great tips to, to give people to really sort of think through. As you said, a lot of people don't do, especially number three, the restating side of it. Yeah. But I also wonder when you are, say, in a, in a meeting, you know, maybe it's a business meeting of some sort or with your team, are there things that are little tips or tricks to help you remember, like, the most important information? Or maybe there are words that should trigger in you, okay, you really need to remember this. Because I'd say, in a, you know, in a, maybe it's an hour meeting, you're not going to remember everything. So are there certain things you should be listening for, certain words or phrases that, that you could point to? I wouldn't say listening for particular words and phrases, but one one thing that I I almost never sit in a meeting without taking notes. I mean, if I'm right. facilitating, obviously I'm not. But and and the best way to take notes, I think, for most people, some people take notes just copious notes, and that's how they keep themselves focused, and that's how they remember. But for most of us, I think um, the way to take notes is to think of it as the written version of restating. Hmm. You know, right. that you're really trying to capture the core ideas, whatever they are. And if you set the, the, the nice thing about that is if you are sitting there with a pad and a pen in, in a meeting and you have set yourself mentally the task of writing down the core ideas, you will listen much more deeply than if you're just sitting there either not taking notes or doodling. You know, if, if, if you have that task, then that is wonderfully focusing to your brain and you will really listen to people to try to extract the core ideas, which is a, a deeper way of listening. Right. Now, when we look at this, and not again, not just listening, but the, the four skills that we've talked about, are there certain ways that, that our listeners could really develop these skills? And, and you had jotted down some things and, and I had sent you some information too, just in terms of maybe things like a mentor or how that would work or, or what, what you look for in that. I mean, are, are there certain ways that you would let people know, hey, this is a way you can try to develop the skill to get better at that. What would what would be your suggestions there? Well, the three things that I put in the post, which I obviously believed, or I wouldn't put them in the post, <laughs> are that uh, the first thing is that listening is the foundation. Just you know, it's it it is, I believe, impossible to develop critical thinking skills, problem solving skills, or good judgment 
without listening, without really cultivating your skills as a listener. And right. fortunately, as I said, you know, it is a skill. You can do these four things. It is, but, but it takes conscious attention. It's, it's like building any other skill. You can't just go, okay, I'm a good listener now. It's like if you wanted to learn to be a good tennis player, you'd have to practice every day. So you have to practice listening. Um, and then the second thing I suggest is find and use mentors. Find people who you think have these skills, who you observe in, in the workplace or friends of yours or parents or coaches or whatever, who you look at this person and go, wow, this person is a great critical thinker. This person is really wonderful at sorting through complex problems. And just A, observe them and B, ask them for help. You know, sort of get, say, I'm thinking through this situation. Here's how I'm thinking through it. Is that how you'd think through it? Or do you, you know, can you offer me some insights as to how you, you know, get them to coach you. And most people, not everyone, but most people are really happy to share their expertise. So if you go to somebody and say, I think you're a really good critical thinker, can you help me get to be a better critical thinker? Right. There are very few people who are going to say, no, you know, get out of my face. And then the third one, and I think this is really important for any kind of learning, the way I wrote it in the post is be permeable. And by that, I mean, be willing to recognize your own strengths and weaknesses as accurately as possible. I mean, if you if you read this post or anything like this and say, oh, yeah, I'm good at all four of these things. Well, you know, really? <laughs> <laughs> so really try to assess where you're starting out and be humble and kind of transparent with yourself enough to say, mm, you know what? I've been told or I perceive that I'm not great with complex problems. I rush to a solution. It may not be the best one. Boy, I'd really like to get better at this. Because until you're honest with yourself about where you're starting out, you, you can't move forward. So then as we sort of look to wrap everything up and you've given us plenty of little tips and advice and, and you know, really guidance and sort of looking at these things and, and what employers are looking for really, and especially with your experience working with them, are there any last words or, or big piece of advice you can give to the job seeker? Plenty of people looking for new positions or just looking to get employed in some way, shape, or form. Anything you could give them in terms of preparation, development, or, or simply just their mindset, especially as it gears towards having these skills? Well, the one thing we haven't talked about much, and I do think it's really, really critical, in, in especially when you're seeking a job or in any other kind of you know, somewhat scary, high stress thing is to really manage your self-talk. And I talked a little bit about this in the post, but I've talked about it. If somebody, any of your listeners want to end up reading my Forbes stuff, I talk a lot about self-talk. It's that internal monologue that we all have going on inside our head all the time. I mean, everybody talks to themselves, you know, it's kind of like when you're watching a news channel and there's that little crawl across the bottom of the screen. Right. <laughs> it's, <just so> <laughs> stuff. it's like that. We all have this little voice in our head that's just going on and on and on. And, and often what it says is, just innocuous and kind of benign and you know gee it's hot today boy that guy has a big nose I like oranges you know whatever <laughs> um, but sometimes it is neither innocuous nor benign and it'll say things to you like oh you'll never get this job sure. or oh my god there's 50 candidates you don't have a chance or your last interview sucked and this one's gonna suck too. you know it says it, that voice in your head says terrible unsupportive unhelpful things to you and it is a real revelation to people, but it's true. You can actually manage that voice. You can manage it. You, if, if you hear yourself saying to yourself negative, unhelpful, unsupportive things, you can go, hold up. Wait, no, I, I'm actually pretty good at interviewing, and I'm really well prepared for this one, and I think I have a good shot at this. And it's not to say things to yourself that are unrealistic, you know, unrealistically positive and optimistic, like nobody else has a shot, and I'm the only one. You know, that's right. not going to 
but you can say good, accurate support. You can be your own coach. And what, what is necessary in order to do that is bring that voice to your conscious awareness. You have to, sometimes people are negatively affected by what that internal voice is saying without even really recognizing that there's a voice talking to them in their heads, you know. But if you start, like for instance, if you're going into an interview and you start to feel really afraid, you know, and your heart is beating and stuff, notice what you're saying to yourself in your head. And if it's something negative and unhelpful, talk back, you know, coach yourself. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time here today, so we'll have to wrap up our discussion on the most important skills to possess in order to get just about any job you're looking to land. Our guest today has been Erica Anderson, founding partner at Proteus International and author of Leading So People Will Follow, as well as a couple other books I believe you mentioned. Erica, where can people find your work and uh, really your, to find your books as well? Um, thank you for asking me that. So the, I have a website, Erica Anderson, and both my names are spelled a little oddly. It's E R I K A. A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N.com. And from there, you can get to my company website, which is Proteus-International, and you can get to my Forbes uh, my Forbes uh, blog and, you know, find out all kinds of stuff about my book. And if this is interesting to you, there's a lot more. Well, thanks again for coming on and giving us uh, some of your insight, and hopefully uh, people can take that information and, and help themselves out as well. So thank you for coming on. Oh, you're so welcome. Great questions too, Tim, so thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Of course, we want to hear from you, the listeners, as well. So please drop us an email with any comments or suggestions at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Wishing you success in all your endeavors. I'm Tim Muma. You've been listening to localjobnetwork.com radio.